Well, we thought last week in the emerging cricket world was crazy. This week might have even topped it and a huge show we've got lined up on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. One of the most unbelievable finishes in associate cricket history in League Two with Nepal stealing the third place spot and an automatic spot at the qualifier. We'll talk all about that. Also action in Hong Kong, the Pacific Challenge in Fiji, as well as the European Cricket League and an update on the Euro T20 Slam. All of that coming up, another big EC pod. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, another big week in the associate and emerging game. I'm Daniel Bezik, and I'm always joined by Nick Skinner, trying to imbibe and watch uh, all the cricket that is going on around the world, from League Two, action in Hong Kong, Pacific Challenge, and a friend playing in the tournament. We'll talk about that in a second. ECL action in Europe and some news regarding the infamous Euro Slam. We'll talk about all of that. But first, Nick, uh, how are you keeping in this past week of uh, emerging cricket? Well, it's uh, it's layers time with the weather hanging around sort of uh, minus ten or so. Oh um, no! But uh, it's it's actually yeah with the sun out, it's it's actually very nice outside as long as you've got your uh, your warm clothes on. It's very beautiful. Happy to hear. Can confirm Sydney is still warm. I, I've found March to be hotter than parts of January in Australia. I wasn't really here for February, so I can't really comment on it. But it's been really warm and uh, been doing some preseason football training for the year just gone. And uh, yeah, it's been almost warm weather training where there's a lot of sweating involved. I'm, I'm losing a lot of fat, which is a good thing because I probably put on a few. Too much uh, biltong over in South Africa? Yeah, that might have been it. Uh, played uh, round two of Australia's version of the FA Cup last weekend. Uh, we got a buy through the, through the first round, our football team. And we managed to get the chocolates in uh, round two. So we're off to round mm. three of the Australian FA Cup, which is uh, huge for, for our club, Little Rosalie Football Club in uh, in Carlingford. We'll go on and play Ride Saints, who are in the uh, division above in uh, round three. Looking forward to that. Uh, but let's stick to cricket, uh, more importantly. <laughs> and a lot of action going on in the emerging game. And I think the biggest topic of the week is... Uh, League Two, and well, we knew it was going to be crazy. We knew there was going to be a big crowd, and we knew the finish was going to be exciting. But I don't think anyone had imagined just how incredible the finish to this match was. So it looked for a long time as if UAE had stolen the game from Nepal. They posted 310 for six. Asif Khan with the most unbelievable hundred off just 42 deliveries, beat Kevin O'Brien's record for the fastest hundred. Uh, in one day international cricket by an associate. 50s as well to Mohamed Wazim. That was in quick time. And a great innings by Vrich Aravind. As mentioned, they posted 310. In reply, Nepal kept things going. They lost two early wickets, Asif Sheikh and Kushal Muller. Plenty of good partnerships in the middle half centuries for Kushal Bertel, Bim Sharki, who looks great, as we talked about last week. Arif Sheikh making 50. Gulshan Jaff, 50 not out. They had Dependra Singh Iri at 8, which kind of goes to the Monte Desai depth of... Uh, batting at the moment. They were 6 for 269. 44 overs had gone. And the scenario was that UAE were almost deliberately slow in bowling out their overs to the point where it was too dark. The umpires called time and called the light. And Nepal were actually ahead 
on Duckworth Lewis Stern, there was quite a bit of protestation. A lot of players weren't sure what was going on. Then official word came through from Lenny that uh, Nepal had been crowned winners by Duckworth Lewis Stern. Nepal's players did a lap of honor around the field. Looked like maybe 30,000 people were at the ground. Uh, handshakes eventually after that by UAE, although there was a lot of protestation, um, especially from Robin Singh, the coach of UAE. Uh, comeback completed. They finished third. They go to the Cricket World Cup qualifier automatically. It sends Namibia down into fourth and to the qualifier playoff, which is held in Namibia from March 24. But, <laughs> well... Uh, I don't know what Monty Desai's got in the momos there for the players at the moment, Nick, because the batting's been outstanding. And you've got to say, uh, they've thoroughly deserved their their win here and, and the path to, to the Cricket World Cup qualifier. Monty Desai's only been in the job about 39 days. I think he took the job on February 6. They were unbeaten at home in the time that Desai's been in the job. They lost one match, that was in Dubai, uh, against UAE. 11 of 12 to do it. I can't think of a bigger comeback in an associate cricket competition. And granted, League Two is the only one of this size. So we haven't really got a sample size, but we haven't seen anything like this in League Two at all. Uh, And I can't think of a comeback similar to this in any other associate cricket competition. We've seen single-day comebacks. P&G were outstanding in the Barramundi Miracle of World Cricket League Two in 2019. But I don't think anything stacks up against this. This is one of the best comebacks I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it is remarkable, but it's also kind of typical of Nepal, you yes. know, leaving everything to the last minute. They the cardiac kids almost run out of road. They have to win, you know, eleven out of twelve, and and they manage to pull it off. And not only do they, you know, they they don't win all twelve. They always they have to drop one just so that just so that yeah. you know you add the extra little bit of pressure there at the end. But um. Well, a hell of a finish to League Two, just just on that front, you know, the the fact that it all came down to this last match and all to play for for Nepal, uh, UAE had been eliminated uh, by that point. Um, so I, I mean, just to start off with, it's yeah, it, it's a testament to the tournament and to the strength of all the teams involved, really. The, the fact that it's, it's got to that point. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, our long term listeners, are well aware of the parity cycle that that you do, but um. You know, it, it's true in this case, and the, all the teams have had good moments and bad moments against each other. Even PNG <laughs> really derailed uh, UAE's yeah. uh, campaign for for uh, retaining ODI status, and you know we can talk about UAE in a minute. But yeah, I, I, I mean, Monty Desai has been involved in the Nepali setup before, and I, I don't know what, what's what's the difference this time. And they've had a number of coaches come through, all with pretty good credentials, including. Babudu Dasanayaka a couple of times and you know so on the one hand I agree that I think the the role of the coach is kind of a bit overrated in terms of what they necessarily bring to the group but you know it seems like you can't really argue with the results here and if if Desai has uh you know even if it's just something simple and you know just change their mentality a bit because you know we we, we saw before Desai came in there were, the ingredients were there in their batting lineup they they're you know a, a lot of guys uh, i think it's four odi uh, centuries in in the batting lineup that they have so i mean that's just a remarkable contrast to previous iterations of this nepali uh, batting lineup where you know Harris Kadka and no one else was able to go big so the fact that they do have guys, you know, a solid sort of four or five, you know, batters who who can actually play long innings, 
and with more coming through, you know, Bim Sharkey as well seems to be emerging. Um, so the, the production of talent is there and clearly some something in the mentality is there. Maybe as you sort of often point out, you know, in 50 over cricket, you have a bit more time than you think. Um, and I mean, that's even true for, for T20 cricket. And we might get onto some, some T10 cricket later on with the European stuff. But playing for 50 overs, you do have a lot of time. And being more measured, as you say, I think is is an important part of this. And, and there are guys who are willing to be patient. And if they lose a few quick wickets, they'll stick around. So this batting group looks a lot more reliable, which is a funny thing to say for <laughs> for, for Nepal's batting. And uh, yes, they've had some collapses. And yes, you know, they, they uh, you know always always kind of make you, you stress about the result. But th- they do actually have a bit of solidity to that top order, which is kind of the, the point of difference to, to Nepali teams in the past. Their bowling, funnily enough, is, is more of a, a question. Their spin stocks are decent. But yeah, where do they get that kind of pace cut through on pitches where their batting isn't necessarily able to play so freely I, I think that is certainly a cause for concern but yeah I mean congratulations to Nepal for a, a, just an amazing uh, achievement here but yeah I mean their batting took them extremely close to a, a you know astonishing comeback you know only just falling at, at the last hurdle but can't really argue with the results from Monty Desai can you? No you can't just to go through the coaching carousel so since Pubadu Dasanayake stepped down. What, the first time or? The first time. <laughs> so, yeah, when Dasanayake stood down the first time, uh, Jagat Tamada, Umesh Patwal, Tamada again as an interim, Dav Watmore, Dasanayake came back, and then Manoj Prabhaka, uh, all of those guys, sort of kind of like uh, Henry VIII and what happened to all of his wives. It's very kind of similar <laughs> to, to, to that, but Nepali cricket. And you bring in Monty Desai, who the reputation around the world, the coaching sphere, is that he's a sort of a batting heavy head coach. He was the batting coach at the West Indies for a few years there. And particularly the white ball stuff, which is actually translated to Nepal a little bit. In the white ball stuff, the West Indies, particularly in one day international cricket, they've actually found a different tactic to everyone else where they kind of have everyone just bat around Shea Hope and that's how they make their totals because Monty knew that there were so many guys that could hit at a strike rate of 120 or above and make 300 even if Shea Hope makes a 100 ball 68 or whatever. And Nepal's team actually isn't that different because you've got a few players there that can sort of play both anchoring roles and aggressive roles. Kushal Bertel can knock off 170 balls if you want him to and he actually did that uh, under Dav Watmore. Dav Watmore was the, play, the the coach who brought the best out of him. But because there's been such a rotation of coaches, we've seen a rotation of players. I think 30 players have played League 2 cricket in this cycle for Nepal. And there was just no semblance, no continuity. And I think a lot of the Nepali players were actually quite disillusioned by the project and not really knowing where they stood because there's a, a few players, and we've mentioned this on shows in, in previous weeks, a number of these young Nepali players have been dropped once before and have come back into the team. And they've learned the lessons of that and they've brought that back into their game and they've become better for it. And it's taken, you know, quite a lot of sunken costs, probably from a Nepali point of view, a number of coaches in and out in the carousel, but they finally found the formula. And again, it's just one incredible comeback. And I think in fairness, we haven't really been able to see too many competitions like this in the associate game that go for two or three years. And we have a long cycle where we get this stretch of outcomes and we can say, oh, this is the greatest comeback in competition history because in times gone past, we've had the old World Cricket Leagues that have been run and done in a week or 10 days 
and you're bouncing up and down the the divisions. I suppose over a, a very long term, Afghanistan's rise from nothing into being a test playing nation is is one of the biggest stories. And then you go on the other end of the spectrum, and we talk about again the the win by PNG at World Cricket League Two in 2019. Kind of fittingly at the cost of Monty Desai's Canada at the time as being one of the greatest comebacks in a day and having all of the factors go with them to save their one-day international status. This is somewhere in between where I think Monty Desai, on the day that Nepal finished third, he'd been in the job for Nepal 39 days. I think he was appointed on February 6th or something. And we're in mid-March and he's turned it around. Again, it's just an unbelievable comeback. And it's one thing to, to bring that mindset, but it's another thing for the players to, to deliver it. And for them to do this, you know, I, I don't think we can we can say much more than it's just an incredible achievement. And I think, to be fair, the fans, uh, most of all, 99.5% of the fans certainly deserve this because this has been in spite of, of Cairns malpractice over the past few years, especially since their reinstatement, they haven't really learned the lessons of their original suspension. So from a governing body standpoint, I think there's still a lot of work to do and there needs to be things that are ironed out. But for the players, the coaches and for the fans, you know, I'm so, so happy for them. I, I can't believe, you know, what, what's happened here um, as a neutral watching on. It's an incredible achievement. There's not a whole lot I, I think we really need to add from a Nepali standpoint, but just looking at these two other teams now, Nick, heading into the qualifier playoff, not a whole lot of positives outside of maybe Muhammad Wazim's incredible 100 in the penultimate match of this competition although it does come with the caveat being that it was a dead rubber fixture and you know when there is more context on this game and there's a little bit more pressure can Wazim deliver that's I think the big question PNG UAE both not enjoying good competitions PNG maybe over the past week of sort of found their feet a little bit found a few more runs in the bank as well but looking at this qualifier playoff, again, Canada and Jersey come in. Namibia are there. USA are there. Namibia and USA don't have to worry about the ODI status part of things and the League 2 structure for the next cycle. That part is safe for them. What do you think of UAE and PNG in this situation? I know you follow Canadian cricket a lot, Nick. They've certainly got the potential to overthrow both of these teams. Jersey have individual talent you know, on any given day, good enough to beat these teams as well. It's a very hard thing for you to predict right now, but where do you kind of see the qualifier playoff heading in a couple of weeks' time? Well, we, we can probably do more of an in-depth uh, analysis uh, as, as we get closer to it, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty keen on Canada's hopes here, but I mean, I am always keen on Canada's hopes and I'm always disappointed, so I don't want to... No, I think it's fair. <laughs> I, I think it's fair, Nick, to be honest. I don't want to get too, uh, you know, too high on the, the, the chances of them coming back up, but yeah, I mean, look, the UAE are in disarray. Uh, I think one interesting question will be whether Robin Singh, their head coach, travels to Namibia for the tournament or if he sticks with Mumbai Indians over, over in the IPL. I think, you know, we, we've already kind of discussed uh, Robin Singh's uh, role in in the UAE's slide and various uh, other issues that have been going on with them. I, I don't see this UAE team beating Canada at the moment. 
Uh, Jersey's more of an interesting question. I, I would say Canada are, are definitely a better team than Jersey. But, you know, <laughs> the UAE are a, are a bit of a mess. Whereas uh, PNG, I mean, after being so bad for so long, if they're just getting slightly better, it's kind of a cause for celebration, uh, which which is a bit disappointing. Yeah. Um, where, where have they been hiding John Carrico? He looks like a decent prospect. Left arm, he does. Uh, left arm finger spinner. Gives it a pretty good rip. Gets decent turn. Gets decent flight. You know, Nasana Pakana's back bowling for the second 11, which you know, we might touch on with the Pacific Challenge. Uh, so, you know, add those two into the bowling lineup. Suddenly looks like there's just a little bit more threat coming through. I mean, yeah, I don't know. CJ Amini, <laughs> you, you talk about Muhammad Wazim's uh, century there. He was feasting on CJ Amini, you know, long hop, full toss, long hop, um, you know, six, six, six into the crowd, out of the ground. <laughs> One of those hits, absolutely massive shot, literally out of the ground. And, you know, old old mate who's just pulled up on his motorbike uh, <laughs> in the parking area has, uh, has caught the ball. So that was... Uh, that... What a catch that was. Can we yeah. acknowledge that? I've, I've got... The, I've been sent the selfie by Lenny as well of of the guy like taking the photo post catch it it's incredible uh i'm sure someone will give it a run uh this week so we'll we'll post it on our socials as well but yeah one of the greatest catches of the whole tournament and it wasn't even by a player nor someone in the crowd someone outside the ground watch the ball right into his hands good technique from from the cool man in the in the sunglasses and the leather jacket um but uh yes uh, muhammad wazim as you referenced a spectacular hundred there off uh, i think it was 60 deliveries 12 sixes can he replicate that in the qualifiers can he replicate that you know when when odi status is on the line when qualifying for the world cup is on the line Maybe an open question, but, uh, you know, the way he plays is very much kind of boom or bust, and that's fine. But the issue is there's no one else really to support him. Richard Aravind was scratching around as well. Uh, he looked a little bit better in, in that game, actually, against PNG. It looked like he was finding some some fluency. He hit a couple of those uh, trademark cover drives, and you know, it looked like he was just starting to get into it. So, you know, he's hopefully on the way back up. And, and once, you know, once Aravind is, uh, is playing well again, uh, and Wazim is 50-50 chance of uh, either doing nothing or, or taking the game away. That's not too bad as an opening combination. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's mostly just mentality, isn't it, from these guys? They, they, they've they've got the talent. They've got the guys in, in the batting lineup to do it. They're just, something is missing and something's wrong. And it, it's sort of the opposite to what we've seen with Nepal and Monte Desai. It's just clearly the, the leadership from Robin Singh. I think has been destabilizing and Ahmed Raza's retirement is kind of testament to that because a guy with Ahmed Raza's quality and experience should not be retiring at the age of 34. No. You know, he's got more to give to this team. So that's, I would pin the blame for that one, at least on Robin Singh and, and his management of the team. I guess maybe Robin Singh's ongoing position kind of depends on, on where they end up at the qualifier. But uh, yeah, I mean, the UAE, pretty disappointing. But yeah, I'm sorry. This started off as a PNG, but we we got distracted by that uh, <laughs> Muhammad Wazim. No, it's a fair conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, just looking across at, at PNG's performance over this uh, over this series, Asad Vala, nine runs away from being the top run scorer of all of League Two, which is a great effort from him. But then, you know, once you look beyond that, who have they got, really? You know, CJ Amini was their second top run scorer, and he was averaging 20 with the bat. Um, Chad Sopa, <laughs> which we've talked about a lot, the, um, you know, the classic PNG formula of uh, Asad Vala, plus maybe one other person scoring runs, middle order collapse, and then Chad Sopa dragging them 
you know, just over to 200. I, <laughs> that's not really a winning formula, I don't think. You know, they've, they've got to find something better than just kind of scratching their way around with, with one or two guys. Tony Ura, you know, m- with all respect to Chad Soper, Tony Ura should not be averaging less than Chad. Norman Vanua really, I mean, he's produced once or twice with the bat, but you really you want more from him. Throughout the middle order, they've, they've had sort of a rotating carousel of guys who, who just haven't produced enough runs and and that's been the whole problem for them and you know, their bowling is always uh it's always disciplined and tidy but the 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 way they bowl they need either a spectacular bowling lineup or just more runs on the board yeah. because you can't restrict your way to victory when you you're defending roughly 200 every game but that's not playing the odds and yes they do have um uh, some pretty handy bowlers uh you know Chad Soper uh, has has been very good over over the course of the tournament Asad Vala funnily enough is their <laughs> is their um second top wicket taker as well as their top run scorer so that kind of tells you how important he is for the team uh, economy rate under 4 32 wickets uh, over the course of the series but yeah uh, Norman Vanua again with the ball for one of your senior quick bowlers averaging 44 with the ball and five and a half economy rate that's just not really good enough you know so where are they getting their wickets from if they can't score any runs is is yeah, that's sort of the flip side of their batting lineup being so unreliable. And we've we've seen a couple of guys coming through just recently. Um, you know, with with the ball, I mentioned John Carrico, and you know maybe he's going to put some pressure on CJ Amini because Amini with the bat and with the ball is not really producing enough uh, to to justify his place. But then it's sort of that question of well, if he's not producing enough, who do you replace him with? And and that's always been the problem for PNG is is just their lack of depth and. You know, you have a guy like Maria who's who's come in and, and bowled quite well. You know, Riley Hikure, you know, he, he tries hard, but again, sort of samey, medium pace stuff. Yeah, just a lot of these guys, there's not quite that variety, and which is where Nasana Pakana hopefully can come back into the team and, and provide that that edge. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the show, but we have seen a PNG A or a PNG second eleven take part in the Pacific Island Cricket Challenge that's being played out in Fiji at the moment with our very good friend Tim Cutler playing in it as well. Uh, We'll get to a ball-by-ball dissection of his bowling spell as well (laughs) a little bit later on. But you make a good point. It's been clear post-Joe Dawes that PNG really struggled to buy in to the Sandry project with Chad Sayers helping out as well. Never was a good marriage. Heard a few murmurs around the traps of of the group not really taking to it. And it was always going to be a hard act to follow after Dawes, who was so, so good for that team. And fun fact, Joe Dawes is now working under an Australian politician who he won't name at the moment, but apparently have been good friends since high school, and, and that's the bond. And I think Joe Dawes was a cop as well, or he's working as a cop oh, now. Oh, that explains. It's, uh, it's been cricket's yeah. loss, but for, for the gains uh, elsewhere. Yeah, honestly, we we can we don't need to name... Well, I mean, <laughs> he who shall not be named uh, is, is kind of a hint in itself. But, um, it is, yes. W- <laughs> Without getting too far into Australian politics, I think Joe Dawes' talents are much better spent uh, coaching associate cricket than working for, uh, you know, a, a politician. But uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, and it just PNG's problems just opens up what could be a great qualifier playoff. And we'll talk about it more in depth, I think, next week in the in the build-up to that competition. But it's going to be an exciting tournament. And 
League two places and ODI status is up for grabs there, and it's well, it's it's almost full circle, isn't it? After World Cricket League two in 2019 had so much bearing on it in terms of filtering into League two for this cycle, they're going back to Namibia again and playing it out almost all over again to to decide, you know, who goes up, who stays down, or who goes down could be huge in in the cricketing landscapes and stories and histories of all these teams that play in it. So. We'll be there trying to uh, cover it as much as we can here at Emerging Cricket and and looking forward to it as well. Let's move on. Now, I'm going to sound like a bit of an old man here. Nick, I assure you that I'm still in my 20s, at least for now. (laughs) The clock's ticking on that one, mate. The clock is definitely ticking. I just noticed a bit of a trend in League 2 that I'm not too pleased about, and I'm starting to wonder what the match referee is doing at each of these League 2 games. But I can name instances in League Two across at least five of the teams in this competition. And granted, it's 140 matches, so it's a long time. It's three and a bit years, but it seems to be a a newer phenomenon in League Two. So many unsavory send-offs. And look, I'll be the first person to acknowledge that, you know, a bit of fire and a bit of aggro in a game of cricket goes a long way to making it the spectacle that it is. But just some of them have been really bad. Like, I can't believe there haven't been press releases that have told us that, oh, this is one player's warning or this is his second offence or third offence and he's about to cop, you know, demerit points on his record. But particularly between UAE and Nepal, and there was a bit of fire, and granted, UAE probably fueled the fire a little bit, but there are a couple of really up close and personal, like borderline physical send-offs that weren't good at all. And, and to be fair, this is happening in full member cricket as well. I think might have been Afghanistan, Bangladesh the last time they played. There was a bit of fire there and it's been brought up again because those two teams are about to play each other again in a full member T20I series. But yeah, off the top of my head, I can name ones from Nepal, UAE, Scotland and Namibia, while they were both in Nepal as well, weren't Saints either. Uh, and then USA, where Ali Khan definitely tried to uh, spur things along with, with his conduct there as well. I'm, I'm not really saying, you know, one person is right in all of those or if, you know, if such and such started it, then someone can finish it. I'm just not really sure how much control these games have had for a lot of this stuff to go down. And, and to be honest, it hasn't been a great look and, and I haven't really liked it, but... I mean, each to their own. The spirit of cricket preamble we know is a load of codswallop anyway. So, you know, in some ways it's kind of good there's a little bit of fire, but I just think there's there's a line and the line's been crossed too many times from too many of the teams, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, Rohan Mustafa from the UAE especially. I mean, this is kind of just how he plays, but I, I, I think you're right in mentioning that it seems to be getting worse and... I wonder if that's just a case of players kind of cottoning on to the fact that it really isn't being policed very well. And and so because they know that, you know, probably not a lot's going to happen, they kind of start pushing the boundaries. And yeah, there's definitely one for the umpires to just keep an eye on, um, you know, going forward, you know, with the, you know, the World Cup qualifier and presumably a lot more eyes on the game there. It's, as you say, it's not a great look. And (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you would think that the guy currently on bail for serious sexual assault allegations might try and be on his best behavior but yeah anyway yeah just just an observation Uh, i don't want to go too much too deep into it um because you'd like to think that you know the people who are policing this will will do their due diligence so happy to move on uh and let's do that 
uh, go to Hong Kong where we've seen a return of T20 international cricket, a quad T20i series followed up by a tri-series of 50 over cricket. We'll start with the action that has already been played out. Uh, Hong Kong winning that competition as predicted we would probably say, although they were pushed at times by Malaysia in particular, who I was uh, quite impressed with. Got to watch one of my favourite players in the associate game around the traps again inside as is. What a player. Love that free-flowing left-handed swing of the bat. Don't know what it is. Just, you know, rustles my jimmies. Don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> one of the best players on the circuit. And speaking of good players on the circuit, Anshi Rath back made uh, a 50 in the uh, T20 series and also has made a 50 in the first 50 over match of the the tri series against Kuwait as we record as well which is good to see so great to see Anchi back and and we talked about this last week it's disappointing that he's felt uh, maybe that opportunity in India has kind of hit a wall and he's come back to Hong Kong but for us it's great to to kind of see him back and and I think give Hong Kong a boost um, I don't want to be one of those people that says, you know, for, for a strong associate cricket, you need Team X to be strong. But it's good to see that he he's back and, and flying the flag for associate cricket because he's one of the best batters, I think, around around the traps at, at associate level. I think we saw some good moments from, from everyone in this competition. I think, you know, Bahrain and, and Kuwait are once again showing that cricket in the golf is, is definitely on the up. But Hong Kong, good preparation for them, you know, with Asia Cup qualifier around the corner uh, and other competitions like that. They seem to be sort of the yardstick. And, and these teams were kind of in the low 20s in terms of T20I rankings. I think Hong Kong's still 21st. They just show that they're just that that level just above the, the rest of the field there. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you're going to go down the, you know, Team X needs to be strong. I mean, you could almost make the case that in Asia, it, it doesn't matter because... yeah. Uh, and this is how this is how cricket should be: is that you know when a team is struggling, there are a whole bunch of other teams in the Asian region who are all you know kind of competing to to be in that top spot, and you know, we'll see that with the Asia Cup qualification coming up. But you know if Hong Kong's not performing, you know Singapore's going to take their place, or Bahrain, or or you know Malaysia, or whoever. There's always there's always someone coming through who's going to be playing better than you if you if you're not careful. So that level of competition, I think, is probably why the region is so strong. Uh, you mentioned Anchi Rath, and yes, it's it's disappointing for him that you know it didn't work out in India, but it's also, as you say, <laughs> associate cricket's gain that you know he's back in Hong Kong colours, and uh, I think suddenly this Hong Kong team looks looks pretty solid with with him at the top of the order as well, and. You know, Yassim Murtazar blasting it down the order. Aziz Khan chipping in with some handy runs. And, and I think he was the joint top wicket taker as well. So great performance from him. Uh, Asan Khan as well. Uh, Hong Kong's very wily, very experienced um, uh, off-spin bowler. He's been around the Hong Kong team for, well, let's just say for a long time. And, you know, he's still producing and he's still keeping it tight. So he'll be uh, one to watch as well um, uh, in that Asia Cup qualifier as we move forward, your point about the golf as well is is a good one. Uh, Saudi Arabia was another team uh, from that area who's who they've just won through uh, a couple of weeks ago to the Asia Cup qualifier. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against these teams. But yeah, I mean Hong Kong, good performance from them at home and and good to be organising these tournaments as well. You know, we we need to see 
more of these, you know, regional tournaments. There's there's quite a few of these sorts of things happening in Europe with where teams, I guess, can maybe more easily uh, just sort of hop on a bus and and, <laughs> and and all meet up in, you know, Luxembourg or something for a series. Um, I guess Hong Kong's a, sort of a major airline hub, so one would imagine there's there's decent flights at least to, to get there. So, you know, Hong Kong, Malaysia, all these countries should be playing against each other more and, and hopefully, you know, the form we've seen from Hong Kong carries through and, and they can recapture that strength that was one of the reasons that they were they were such a threat at associate level you know if 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 they are producing that on a consistent basis they're they're one of the more exciting teams at this level and Angie Rath just just adds to that and a tick to Simon Willis on his first assignment as Hong Kong coach uh taking over uh from Trent Johnston good yeah good signs and again it's a good point you make about you know these bilateral all these sort of multi uh, multi-team competitions at uh, international level when you know they're not part of a, a pathway per se and it costs quite a bit of money for, for them to be put up and streaming was done on ICC TV so they've gone through that avenue as well um, and it's just sort of good news all around for, for everyone involved and as mentioned you know two of the other teams with uh, Hong Kong, Kuwait and Malaysia are hanging, hanging around for a 50 over tri-series as well and there'll be a final in that and the third place team will actually play a hong kong a site uh just to get another game in on the tour so making the most of the time that they've got which is good to see and uh, and just great to see the mission road ground get some more cricket on it you know we know what it's it's been like especially in other parts of of the region too where you know grounds have been put in jeopardy and and saved or or lost so good to see Tin Kwan getting some some cricket on it. Let's move on. Uh, and the segue being that the ex-Vanuatu Cricket CEO, who's now the CEO of uh, the Vanuatu Cricket Association, is taking part in the competition that we're about to talk about, the uh, Pacific Island Cricket Challenge of 2023. Great concept. Uh, it's being put on in partnership with uh, the Australian government uh, the Defence Force, the Anzac Barbarians is a team in the competition that's sort of a mix of uh, Australian and Kiwi military, uh, makes it a five-team competition. PNG sending a second 11 to it as well, Vanuatu, Samoa and Fiji. Both men's and women's competitions being played concurrently as well at Albert Park in Suva on the synthetic there. Looks nice, those Beautiful teal, light blue buildings in the background there as well with the palm trees makes it a a nice backdrop for cricket. And in the foreground, (laughs) a left-arm orthodox spinner about to turn 42 years of age uh, rolling up for Vanuatu. Of course, he can't play in the official T20Is of the competition because he's not eligible to play for Vanuatu yet. Not until I think it's March or April Next year, he's eligible to play for Vanuatu, but... I'm sure he could tell you the exact day. Yeah, uh, he's counting down. Uh, featured in the game against the Anzac Barbarians and then featured in the match against the PNG second 11. And we did talk about early in the show about how, you know, there's actually a little bit of depth in the, in the PNG group now. Quite a lot of senior internationals playing in this competition as well. But I think... <laughs> Let's not get too self-indulgent about this and with Tim. Oh, it's, but it's not It's not every day that we have a, a host uh, playing international cricket. That's that's a good point. Let's go through the... So we finished with two for 25 or four overs against the Anzac Barbarians. And you look at that and you think, oh, he's almost pick of the bowlers here. You would not have expected it after his first four balls of his spell. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of play out the... 
the match in front of me and, and almost run through it again. So first ball, he bowls to Lewin Maladay. He's played a lot of first grade cricket in Sydney. He bowls a half tracker that gets put into the next postcode. Tim does the classic spinners thing after he gets hit to look at the footmarks and just say, oh, I think I might have slipped. Let me just check. Yeah, wipes, wipes his hand on his trousers. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, the, the AstroTurf footmarks. Yeah, something's right. To kind of describe his bowling action, and I'm, I'm sure people have seen it, is a little bit Mitchell Sander-esque. He doesn't really get his right hand all the way up. He, he, he kind of has almost a low release point for someone who's so tall. And the second ball here, again, drags it down. Maladay hits him through mid-wicket. It beats the gap goes to the boundary for four. Again, he kind of looks at the footmarks. He's he's around. He's yeah, asking questions. You can questions. tell he's fuming here. Oh, he's absolutely <laughs> steaming. Uh, you made the observation when we watched it the first time. It almost looks like there's steam coming off the top of his head. Gets the ball. He stretches his calves a couple of times. Um, there's a chat with uh, the fielder at first slip, just kind of getting his angles right. It looks like his number's been taped on uh, 16 on the back of his shirt. Just the way that the six has been put there. We, we haven't asked him that, about that yet. Next ball sort of whipped into the leg side for one. Uh, he then hit, bowls a full bunger outside leg stump. It beats the 45 to the fence. And, you know, he's teapotting now. Like he's got his <laughs> arm, his hands on his hips. He's looking at his hand. The ball slipped out of his hand. Yep. His legs are outstretched. He's almost in hits the split position. Hits himself on the hand. Hits his legs. Hits, yeah, he's just... Mm. I would not want to be in Tim's way there, yep. So for those, those <laughs> not doing the maths along with us, he's none for 15 off four balls here. Comes in. If you switched it off at that point, you would have thought, time to give it away. Yeah, what are you doing in this team, Tim? But what a turnaround we're about to see unfold. He comes back on to bowl. Anzac Barbarians are 81 for three. They're going at a pretty good clip here. Lewin Maladay's on 48. He's been the best batter so far today. And you can tell he's got a bit about him. Again, left arm around the wicket to the right-hander. Little bit more flight. Maladay slices a ball out to deep point. There's his wicket. And Cutler, the fastest I've ever seen him run, <laughs> gives it the big wind-up. And then the fist pump as well, just just to like rub salt in the wounds of our Maladay as he runs past. Not a send off, I'll say, more of a celebration. Again, we don't want to get sanctimonious and, and we don't want to be contradicting ourselves here. A proper celebration, good to see. And then came back and took another wicket later on in his spell. Just the classic left arm orthodox stumping dismissal. Yeah, drew him forward, bam. That was one of his best deliveries, I would say, was, was that stumping. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, beat him in flight through the air. Good stuff. But um, yeah, interesting to see Tim pulling on the the Vanuatu shirt. Is he gonna pull a pull a Shane Deets and uh, turn out for the team as as CEO when he's uh, when he's eligible? That's kind of an interesting question. But um, just looking a little bit kind of more at the team itself, Tim's competitiveness and and you know fire there is something that, in all seriousness, they could do with because. Yeah, you you just watch them a few times, and you know if they get hit, you know the head drops, and and they kind of they they're just not loving life, and, and they are very much confidence team. But if they can just add a little bit more kind of uh, I don't know, bit more steel maybe to their attitude, even that would make a pretty big difference to to the team. And we've seen some pretty good results actually so far. In, all joking aside, yeah, as as fun as it is to see Tim pulling on the shirt, uh, Vanuatu have been one of the better teams there. Uh, they did struggle against PNG uh, or, you know, the PNG 11, but 
other than that, they've they've been very good. And even against that PNG side, uh, their bowling wasn't fantastic, but you know they put up 150 odd after losing early wickets. So yeah, there's some some positive signs. But as far as it goes, as as kind of a stress test for for Vanuatu ahead of the the qualifier, the East Asia Pacific Regional qualifier for next year's World Cup. Yeah, definitely still some questions for them, but also some some positive signs I would say from the eleven. No, agreed. Uh, on all counts, actually. I think, yeah, watching in Vanuatu last year at the sub-regionals, I think you, you are right. You know, if things just unravel a little bit or there's not a whole lot of pressure on, sometimes I feel like a couple of players in that group switch off a little bit. When they're on, they're a great team. And I think they should give PNG a push at that, at that regional qualifier in July. Although... As we mentioned at the start of the show, there's actually a little bit of depth in the PNG setup now. It's definitely not something we would have been able to say four years ago, but to think they've gotten a sign of Pekana, Jack Gardner, Jason Keeler, Mahiru um, Dai all playing in this, this tournament in Fiji is a testament to the holistic group that PNG have at their disposal now. It's definitely something to keep an eye on You know when they are playing even more cricket and, and there's a little bit more competition for places, especially in the League 2 team, but also in the uh, uh, the regional qualifier for the, the T20 World Cup for 2024. That's being held in late July of this year. So so look out for that. And obviously when we get closer, we'll talk about that a little bit longer or a little bit more, I should say. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as, as we kind of mentioned, um, Nasana Pakana bowling pretty well here and, and Jack Gardner as well another seam bowler giving them some options and, and maybe hopefully putting a bit of a you know pressure on the guys in the team to you know, maybe lift their game with the ball because because that is important interesting to see Samoa sending uh, I mean Fiji's 11 included a number of debutants uh, in a couple of games as well but um Samoa I think uh, um, kind of an interesting story with uh, they, they brought through a lot of the under 19s T- uh, team who, who will be playing a little bit later on in the year in the East Asia Pacific Under-19s qualifier. So sort of giving them some decent level match experience. Um, they have lost every game Samoa, which is disappointing. But yeah, you know, all the better for the experience. And uh, yeah, Fiji, uh, pretty impressive performance as well. Um, so yeah, a good initiative this from um, from the boards involved and, and from the, uh, the Australian Defence Force in terms of setting it up and, and uh, sending a, a team of players. Uh, same teams as well on the women's side of things and kind of the same story PNG doing the running uh, for the women as well uh, and, and you know Vanuatu Fiji uh, playing catch up the Anzac Barbarians surprisingly uh, not playing very well on the women's side of things which is interesting I, I guess maybe less less of the women in the defense force uh, play cricket I don't know but um, Vanuatu second best behind PNG and PNG comprehensively beating them uh, it, it was PNG's senior team rather than a second 11 uh, but uh, you know Vanuatu restricted to to 64 for eight in that in that clash and PNG chasing it down <laughs> inside 10 overs. Uh, Selena Solman in uh, her interview with Emerging Cricket uh, from a couple of weeks ago talked about, yeah, PNG are, are basically sort of the yardstick for them at this level and clearly a, a bit of work to do for them. Um, although, yeah, Selena, uh, Rachel Andrew as well in the runs, um, good effort from Vanuatu, but they're still second best at this level and, and that's something for them to work on. Yeah, we'll wrap that competition in full on its completion and likely on next week's show. Let's move to Europe. There's two big stories out of Europe and they're <laughs> contrasting but also good to compare. We'll start with the European Slam or the European 
sham, scam. <laughs> it's probably getting a little bit unfair to this point, but Cricket Europe this week reporting that once again, the Euro Slam uh, will not go ahead it's probably worth actually reminding maybe some of the newcomers what the Euroslam actually is because we've never actually seen it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, it's it's kind of lived on as this uh, mythical entity in, in associate cricket, but it's never actually been played a game. Yeah, so a six-team T20 franchise league, for lack of a better term, two teams from Scotland, two teams from the Netherlands, two teams from Ireland, was a great idea to a degree and one of the most embellished opening ceremonies or announcement nights seminars that they had Burtis Young once again coming through with the goods and reminding everyone on Twitter about it again the Sandman oh. drawing that sand picture will never be forgotten yeah and the the broken glass revealed the logo that was already revealed uh anyway without trying to to dampen Everyone will even try to sort of cover it with, with some humour. It's been officially called off again for this year. Cricket Europe were the, the, the group to report the story this week. Once again, fallen by the wayside. Competition, which was supposed to have, as we've mentioned, two teams from Ireland, Scotland and the Netherlands, was unveiled in March 2019, cancelled for the fifth time. Uh, there's talk that it will happen in 2024. We'll believe it when we see it. And there was a quote by Cricket Europe, but in regards to Cricket Island responding to the news, quote from Cricket Europe, Cricket Island has today confirmed that the Euro T20 Slam concept tournament will not proceed in 2023. Significant progress had been made on the development of the proposed franchise tournament and plans for a 2024 launch. I won't lie, I'm not going to hold my breath. Would I love to see it? Absolutely. Do I think it could be good for cricket in associate nations in parts of Europe and elsewhere? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen? Everything is pointing towards no. Um, and I suppose we can leave it there unless you've got anything else to add, Nick, because we can go to a competition that is actually running, that is real and has been genuine from the start in the European Cricket League, which is being run once again. Slightly different concept to how it started. Yeah, I mean, as you say... If they could get it happening, it would be very good for these teams because this is something that we see as a, a pretty common problem for a lot of top-rated associates is is bridging that gap between you know their domestic or, or club-level stuff and the pressures of international cricket is, is kind of a challenge for, for associates who are trying to come up. Uh, Namibia has tried something interesting with their Richelieu T20 franchise concept. And, and you know there's a few of these sort of experiments going on that, that we can see. But the Euro Slam, you know, having two teams uh, from each of those, those three um, wait, was it Netherlands, Ireland, and Scotland? Yeah, you know, having two teams from each of uh, you know those three uh, European emerging teams. Obviously, Ireland are full members, but um, you know, on the field, they're not necessarily that much uh, you know that far ahead of uh, Ireland of of sorry of Scotland and the Netherlands. Um, you know, those three sort of have all, they, they do play a lot against each other. They they are pretty comparable level. They're pretty similar uh, being played uh, domestically in all those competitions. So it, it makes sense. And, and, you know, obviously the logistics of it would be pretty manageable, you would think, uh, with, you know, short haul flights or even train trips uh, if you're going uh, within the UK, um, you know, so it, it's, it's very doable. It's very uh, logistically, you know, 
it's very intuitively it makes sense. The problem is just the the backers um, don't seem to have the money to to make it happen, and I don't know if there's some way they could. I don't know how long have they signed the contract for. Was it one of those uh, uh, sort of ten, fifteen year ones? So they're sort of locked into it, or if if there's some way of getting out of it, could they try and maybe resell? the idea to someone else who who's maybe going to be a bit more reliable because if you can have a top level franchise tournament between those three countries i think that would make a lot of sense and that's that's actually uh what the competition from way back in the day uh which which was funded out of the icc's i think it was the high performance fund or, or i'm not 100 percent sure on what it was called but basically some money for for high level associates to try and you know improve their domestic standard that used to be played uh i think it was played for a couple of seasons between dutch and scottish sort of pseudo franchise teams and that was a pretty good concept it, it ended up falling by the wayside but you know, if they can revive something along those lines, it, it would be very good for cricket in these nations. But yeah, they I just don't trust these, you know, fly-by-night uh, T20 operators. We've seen a lot of trouble coming in Nepal to sort of loop back to <laughs> to Cairns' challenges. You know, they've just finished running a T20 competition in Nepal where the main organiser fled the country under a cloud of uh, match-fixing yeah. and uh, criminal conduct allegations. So, you know, that wasn't good on their part. And, you know, there just always seems to be a, a lot of uh, dodgy operators sort of floating around this sphere. So if the three boards here, the, the Netherlands, Ireland and Scotland, can extricate themselves from their deal with the original backers, hopefully they can try and make it work because it's something that is needed at, at this level. You're, sp- you're speaking a lot of sense there, Nick, to be honest. Um, probably a little bit too much sense for uh, some people who are trying to organise these leagues. But I think it is important to acknowledge and Almost a nice little segue to our last topic of today, but a competition in Europe that's been completely transparent in their plans and have been pretty much an open book in terms of of what they want to achieve in European cricket and have actually given not only action on the field, but some pretty tangible numbers in terms of viewership and in growing the game in Europe. The European Cricket League and the spin-off tournaments and the satellite tournaments, the European Cricket Series that have branched off the original ECL idea you know, we're now into a much bigger competition than probably what Daniel Weston actually envisaged so early in his vision for the European Cricket League. But now we see a competition that's run in a pretty clever way in front of a really smart broadcast and is starting to show some some fruits of their labour in terms of the level of cricket on display as well. Just running through the, the system and how it all works... We have a winner from each of the groups from A to F and they join the defending champion on finals week where we find a new winner for the European Cricket League. Group E is undecided as we record and Group F is yet to have its week. But we've got Hornchurch of England, Farmers of Jersey, Dreux from France, Beveren from Belgium and Pac Icare are the defending champions who'll be at finals week. Looking at those group of teams and Dreux is the one that sticks out to me and this is the example that I want to make in terms of our conversation here, Nick. Dreux played in the inaugural European Cricket League that was an eight-team tournament, uh, two groups of four and they certainly weren't the best team at the competition. You know, In fact, you could probably argue that they were one of the worst teams at the competition. Here they've come through, won their group, will be at finals week. I think that's kind of the parity that we're, we're seeing in European cricket almost in front of our eyes and I know that T10 is not the greatest yardstick for discussing you know, collective talent across the group because, you know, sometimes you have one player pongoing it everywhere and, and you win a game off one person's bat. But 
you know, VOC Rotterdam traveled to this competition and didn't make it to the finals week. They won the first competition, the first European Cricket League, rather convincingly. And again, you might be able to make a point that they're not sending the strongest team to this competition this year compared to the one that they won, the inaugural one, where they had, you know, a couple of national team players in it. But I think we're just starting to see the fruits of of Weston's labor here in that we've got a bigger group of teams in the region who are stronger. Ergo, European cricket in general is better for it at international level as well. When you see a number of these international teams playing in international competition in Europe, I think at the I think it was the framework for the 2021 T20 World Cup. I think we saw just about every team in sub-regionals and regional action win at least one game. So there is progress in Europe and, and Western's certainly on the way to helping a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, just on Daniel Weston, it was good to see him uh, in the crowd taking oh, an absolute screamer. We talked about what a the catch. Uh, <laughs> we talked about the gentleman in the car park uh, in the Nepal game, but also uh, Daniel Weston seems like he hasn't lost a step since he hung up the gloves for for Germany, and uh, yeah, he still still looks pretty handy. Uh, get him get him on as a as a twelfth man or something. Make it happen, cricket Germany. Proved he could do it without the gloves as well. Well, that's always nice for a wicketkeeper. Yeah, you, you you get the little sledges about about the gloves but um yes i i think looking a bit more broadly the existence really of the the whole european cricket project that the western is running <laughs> certainly puts the t20 scam sham slam whatever you want to call it to shame but it also realistically it puts the standard of broadcast that the icc has been putting out to shame because you know we, we've all talked about the issues that we have with icc tv and the you know i mean you know just the ui experience is not fantastic uh, whereas it's a lot more intuitive on on the ECN website, the obviously the production standards, the the filming, all of it is streets ahead of of what the um, I believe it's Crick clubs who are running most of the pathway stuff uh, for the ICC. As, as a general rule, Crick clubs are, are just well behind uh, the the standard of broadcast that we're getting out of. Uh, Western's team, so you know that's that's kind of embarrassing for a, a, a supposedly the world governing body, uh, you know, pathway tournaments. Um, I, yeah, in terms of all the cricket that's being played, T10. I've said it before, but I'm not a huge fan of the format. But you know, the fact that they can get through so many games is, is kind of interesting because it allows them to run these very expansive tournaments and as well as you, as you kind of mentioned, the flow-on effect for these teams is that it's uh, coming through in their in their T20 cricket, in their real cricket, if you want to put it that way. Uh, you know, I think back to the interview with uh, Corey Rutgers from a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Spain's men's head coach. He was... Now, I know he's obviously involved in uh, commentary and, and whatnot with uh, with the ECN. So, you know, he, he kind of has an interest in, in, in talking it up. But at the same time, you can see the results on the field for Spain and the fact that having this constant pipeline of talent being highlighted and, and, and getting decent level exposure has allowed Spain to really take some pretty big strides in, in not too long, you know, at European level and, and you know, moved up the rankings pretty quickly and... Uh, Rutgers has, has talked a little bit about his kind of strategy there with with um, you know using the rankings to try and try and crack uh, the 50 over structure as well. So yeah, I mean the, the benefits for the teams involved is sort of you can see it on the field every time they play, and even for the Dutch and, and VOC, you know it allows them to try out some younger guys and um, you know Pete Zayla is involved as well. So it's the, the the club wasn't a total joke and. The fact that they are being beaten on a regular basis by other European club teams just shows the 
depth of talent that exists on the continent and and we need to be tapping that and european cricket is is on the way up for sure good way to finish i think nick once again thank you for joining me discussing all things emerging cricket you know where to find us because you're here and you've uh read and seen emergingcricket.com make sure to tell a friend let a friend know where we are across listening spaces the website uh social media once again can't thank you people enough for listening into another emerging cricket podcast and we'll talk to you next week